Today I want to talk about symbols. We've been doing a summer on Celtic Christianity, and I'm particularly interested in the idea of the Celtic cross. And so we're going to sort of build our way to that. But I, I want to talk first about just how symbols work. And in your bulletin, there's a two-page thing stapled together that goes with the sermon. It'll kind of be helpful, I think, uh, for you to follow along with some of the pictures that I've given you. So let's talk about how symbols work. There's certain symbols that are just understood. They're like just naturally sort of born in us. Like certain metaphors, like like fire, water. You see these very natural sort of growth metaphors that show up in all kinds of cultures and all kinds of places. And some symbols then really are like that. Like you understand that. Like the symbol for poison. Yeah, you can show a child a symbol for poison. They get it, right? Skull, crossbones, bad. Even if you think pirates are cool. Okay? If you ever saw an actual pirate, they're not that cool. Okay? It's terrifying. Skull, crossbones, clearly you see that and you're like, that's bad. Okay? Um, and so some symbols are sort of naturally ingrained in us. You don't have to explain to a child very much about the symbol for poison. They get it. Some are symbols that we learn. Here's a really fascinating one to me. That green symbol that's next on the page. That on your iPhone is the symbol for making calls on your iPhone. Now, you know what's funny about that? Almost nobody has a phone like that anymore. Okay? Here you are on this high-tech computer in your pocket making a call, and the symbol for it is a phone that used to be attached to a wire that went like this. Everybody remember the wire that used to be attached to a receiver like that? And you'd get a kink in it. You'd have to take a pencil or your finger and follow it out to get the kink out. Okay? A lot of it was this way, right? I mean, it was, you could spin it. It was crazy. Uh, my office has a cord like that. But anyway, most of us, even if you have a home phone, which most people don't have, it's probably a wireless phone. Probably doesn't even look like that anymore. That was a great symbol for phones back when we had pay phones. But now people don't have phones like that anymore. But isn't it funny that the iPhone, right? If I was actually going to draw a symbol for an iPhone, you know what it would be? It'd be a rectangle. That's a phone anymore. Okay? If you have a wireless phone, it looks like that. And yet, that symbol is so learned for us that even our children know when we push that, we can call on the phone, even though some of our grandchildren have never seen a phone like that. Okay, so some symbols we just naturally get. Some symbols are just ingrained in us. And some, some symbols are actually ingrained in us on purpose because of companies. So I gave you a bunch of logos there from companies. And most of those you can look at and instantly know that's Apple, that's Starbucks, that's Target. Okay, how many of you can remember when McDonald's had actual giant golden arches over the building? Do you remember that? Okay, if you're my age or younger... McDonald's used to actually have giant golden arches that marked the building. Okay? And that became so ingrained in us, now they don't have to do that anymore. As long as there are any golden arches, we will show up. We know that that's, that's there. So logos are symbols that companies have paid big money to help us learn what they mean. Now the problem with symbols is we don't always agree on what the symbol means. McDonald's means the restaurant. We all get that. But what about when we don't all agree on what the symbol means? So, I gave you a picture there. Anybody know what the car is? 
and generally from Dukes of Hazard. Okay. Uh, and but, but what flag is that on the top of it? Huh? Uh, it's a Confederate flag. Okay. Confederate battle flag. Okay. So it. What does that flag stand for? Well, thanks to the Dukes of Hazard, for a lot of people, that flag stands for being country, being, being hick. Okay. I've seen a lot of these flags in western Pennsylvania where there was no confederacy, everybody. We were in the north. But that symbol for some people, thanks especially to this show, stands for being country, for being hick. Okay? But if you're from the south and you see this flag, what does this flag mean? It means rebellion against the union. Or it means for some people fighting to be able to own other people. So that symbol means different things to different people. And so some people love that symbol and use that symbol, and some people fight over it, but it means different things. We can talk about the American flag the same way. Okay, because when a professional football player like Colin Kaepernick looks at a flag, and when a veteran looks at a flag, it's a very different symbol. And how they treat that symbol is very different. So when we don't agree on what our symbols mean, it causes conflict. Some symbols are specifically made to teach certain things. We call these often memorials. I gave you pictures of a number of memorials that uh, many of you have seen in Washington, D.C. Memorials are meant to represent a certain event or a certain series of events that happened so you could go there and remember it. And a lot of times it's very symbolic. So the Abraham Lincoln Memorial, if you ever go there, it's actually a Greek temple. All the architecture is Greek temple. There's a lot of writing in Greek. Abraham Lincoln is set up as a Greek god. He's sitting on a throne, everybody, in a Greek temple. That's a very different imagery than if you walk over nearby to the Vietnam Memorial. Okay, the Vietnam Memorial, anytime a a memorial is for something that's that's a dark part of history, a lot of times the stone is dark. This is part of how you can tell what's being represented in the stone. If you ever been to the Vietnam Memorial, it's names of those who were lost or who died during Vietnam. It's made of a reflective material. Why? So that as you look at them, you see yourself among the names. And then if you ever really pay attention to that memorial, that memorial is not straight. Okay? But the top is like straight. But you actually walk down into the memorial and then walk back up. So it's meant to be like a grave. You walk into the grave, you look at the names, you see yourself among the names, you walk out. Okay? These are the ways memorials actually teach us. Now, why are we talking about this? Because the Bible is full of this. The Bible has so many symbols and memorials. I mean, a number of times in the Old Testament, the Bible actually has people make altars to God, like memorials. They take stones and pile them up. Noah after the flood receded. Abraham on several occasions, like at Shechem and at Bethel, where God appeared to him, he built altars. Jacob built an altar at Bethel when he had the dream of the ladder reaching to heaven. Moses did this several times in places like Mount Sinai. And let me read for you, I gave you a little clip of it. Let me read from you Joshua when the people come into the promised land. I'm reading Joshua chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, 
according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, took the twelve stones out of their midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. They carried them over to the place where they lodged and laid them there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the, pl- uh, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when the people come into the promised land, the ark goes before the people and actually the waters of the Jordan part. We don't think about that often. We think of the Red Sea doing that, but the Jordan River does that. And what he has is an elder from each of the 12 tribes pick up a stone on the dry land and bring it to the side. And then he builds an altar. And why does he say that he wants to build this altar, this memorial? So that when your children ask, what those stones mean to you, then you can tell them about what happened here this day. Okay? That's the power of symbol, everybody. The symbols can represent for us something that happened so that when our children and our grandchildren in this world ask us, what does that stone mean to you? You can say, here's what it means to me. It can be this amazing teaching opportunity to pass on the stories of God and what God means to you. This is what communion is. This is what baptism is. In the Bible, this is what the temple is. The Ark of the Covenant is. And of course, at the center of the Christian faith is one symbol in particular. The cross. The cross. Now you might find this interesting to note that the early Christians did not use the cross as a symbol at all. And the very earliest Christians did not use a cross. And it makes actually a lot of sense when you think about it. Do you know how gruesome crosses were? If you had ever seen someone crucified on a cross, you would never wear a necklace of that. Right? You would never see that as a good symbol. The, the hymn calls it an emblem of suffering and shame. No, it was way worse than that. It was a torture device. Okay? So the idea of a cross hanging in your building, on your wall, around your neck, that was like a noose, like an like electric chair. Okay, so the early Christians, they didn't use a cross at all. They tended to love uh, a fish symbol. You'll see this symbol from time to time. They liked, uh, liked simple symbols. They really didn't use a cross until much later the church started to get into using crosses. And it was really after crucifixion wasn't around anymore. But eventually the cross did become a very strong symbol. A lot of times it's, it's out in the early church. It was actually in an anchor. So you'll see crosses that have sort of an anchor shape to them like that in early Christian art. But it wasn't really like a total cross. It's meant to be more of an anchor or actually this is like a ship with a sailboat. You can kind of catch that. Um, So eventually they started to use crosses. And they would use different shaped crosses. Some people looked at the cross like a capital T. You're used to the cross like a little T. Okay? Sometimes the T was actually even, like a plus sign. And so you see that even places like the Red Cross. 
Okay? This was a lot of times this cross was actually represented as equal sided crosses. Uh, you, in, in the Protestant church, we don't do as many crucifixes. Okay? Again, early church did none of that. You would never portray someone who was crucified if you'd ever seen a crucifixion. Okay? But later it becomes a thing. And, but the, for the Protestants, we've already sacrificed Jesus. And so we don't need him on the cross anymore. So a lot of Protestants, you'll see, it's not tried and true, but you'll see a lot more crucifixes in Catholic churches, a lot more empty crosses in Protestant churches. And the, the, an empty cross is actually a symbol of itself too, right? It's like an empty grave. Wait, it's empty. He's not there anymore. The other thing that starts to happen to crosses is they get budded. Uh, so this is, uh, I'm a terrible artist. Okay, but you start to see more crosses that have like sort of rounded edges, right? Or they might have like multiple like this on every edge, okay? Or uh, you see like uh, fancy, uh, some fancy crosses will have kind of the Florida Lou kind of edges. And then sometimes they'll fancy up the middle of the cross. So the idea is a budding cross. This is like a bud. So it's not just a cross, it's like the cross is growing. The cross is not dead wood, it's actually alive. And so you'll see this sort of budding that happens. Now, today I want to I then explore the Celtic cross. Okay, And a Celtic cross, I gave you pictures of a number of them. Uh, it's a little hard to understand exactly how, where Celtic crosses come from. Um, do they come as sort of a, they, they may have actually been more of a secular symbol that then missionaries used, or maybe the missionaries sort of created them, but I've given you some pictures of them. There's a number of pieces, so, um, so, so let, let me just talk through uh, these crosses. You can see them all over Ireland, Scotland, a lot of places, uh, and they, we see very old ones, and then in the last 200 years, they got very popular, and so you see this huge rise in these crosses. Okay, part of the image is that of a standing stone. Uh, there's this ancient practice of not just building like altars like Joshua does, but standing big stones up. Famous one I'll give you a picture of? Stonehenge. Okay. Yeah, we find this in all kinds of cultures. When you want to mark a place, you want to mark an event, you put a big stone up. Okay, and then that became, becomes sort of the anchor from the place. And then in early Celtic culture, they used to draw symbols onto these big stones. So they weren't actually carved Celtic crosses originally, they were drawn on. Okay, and then some of the symbols would, would kind of be mixed. So I gave you at the bottom of that page some Celtic knotting. It's called Celtic knot work. Part of the imagery was that of clothing. So you see in all these Celtic crosses, a lot of these kind of this knotted work that happens with, uh, it, it looks like fabric. And they even, a lot of Celtic work actually put imperfections into it. It's like, it wasn't just like knitting. It was knitting your grandma did and messed up once. And so it was not always real perfect. Okay, and the vision was that, that the world fit together like a cloth. All these strings were sort of woven together. And so nature was like that. And so you see crosses or you see that with uh, trees there on the symbol. They also love, the Celtic Christians love to make a symbol for the Trinity. That would be... Uh, and a lot of times they put a circle around it. We'll talk about the circle in a second. But you can see several kinds of symbols like that. The circle itself. Um, a lot of people think of like a halo. 
And we do get that in Christian art, but this seems to sort of predate halos in terms of art and Christian art. So where does this circle come from? Well, it could be sort of a wheel. Sometimes it's a compass. A lot of times it represented the moon or the sun. And a moon was just a circle. Okay, and the moon was important because it's how you track seasons, months. And then the sun was important because that's what you knew was important for growing your field. And then what they would do a lot of times when they would have circles, when they would make the sun, I'd have a picture of it on that first page. It looks like this. They would do the circle, and then they would go something like this to represent the sunbeams. And then sometimes to, to represent it, they would put add, add ones kind of like this. You see this sort of, this sort of movement. Sometimes it represented the world, but here's the funny thing to think about. Circles can represent the world, but they didn't really represent the world before they knew the world was round. But you do get in art this idea that the whole world is a disc. Maybe it's all on one stone. And so you get a circle that's representing the stone that the world is built on. Sometimes called in, in secular art, the womb of the world. But the world is all built on this one stone. And here it is. And so even though they didn't know the world was round, sometimes a circle means the whole world. Now then, of course, when the Celts do come to faith, they start to look at some of these symbols, start to put them together. So with Celtic crosses, you get a cross, and then sometimes it's longer, and then a lot of times you get a circle representing these different things. A lot of times with sort of four points to represent the four seasons or four directions, and uh, representing the world being in unity. They would put Celtic crosses on them, and then a lot of times in these in these Celtic stones, what you find is artwork representing Bible stories. Why was that important? They don't have Bibles, everybody. There's no printing press. So they can't, they can't just read the Bible stories. They've got to actually carve them to teach people. These were their Bibles. And so a lot of Celtic stones, Celtic crosses, actually have symbols uh, of Bible stories to be able to teach them. Now, writing also happened on the cross. And so... Uh, one symbol you sometimes see, particularly in later Celtic crosses, is a Cairo, which is an X and looks like a P, but it's actually an R. Uh, that stands for the first two letters of the word Christ. You ever seen this symbol before? You better say, yes, it's right there. You look at it every Sunday. It's right there, Cairo. That stands for Christ, the first two letters of the name Christ. Okay, the other thing you'll see sometimes on Celtic crosses, it's on the Celtic cross on the front of your bulletin, is the initials I-H-S. Sometimes they'll go like this. They'll do I, H, and S, and they'll be stylized like that. I think the bulletin on the cover of your bullet, the cross on the cover of your bulletin has something stylized like that. That's what it is. I-H-S. You know what that stands for? So people say in his service or in his steps, it's actually not true. That's a later sort of teaching on that. It's actually the first three letters of Jesus' name in Greek. Okay, I-H-S is the first part of Yeshua. Yeshua. And so it's actually Jesus' name. You ever seen this before? Yeah, it's under the ship on our communion table. It says I-H-S. You can't see it right now. But it's okay because it's right here in the center of a cross, just like it is on the cover of your bulletin. In a nice little budded pattern, everybody. We just talked about the buds on the cross. It's right there. You also sometimes will see the initials I-N-R-I on a cross. That's the, that's the first letters of 
the sign that's over Jesus on the cross. So, why, why are we so interested in this? Well, everybody, this, this development of the Celtic cross and the way of experiencing God by paying attention to the knotwork and seeing the Bible stories and seeing the symbolism is hugely important for the Presbyterian tradition because we are Celtic. We are Celtic. So, where else have we seen these symbols? Well, right there. That's a IHS on a center, right? Everybody, there's a big cross up front here. I'm sorry, I have a laser pointer, but it's, it's a temperature gun. It's the best one I had. Okay? Uh, everybody, look. We've got a Celtic cross right here. Okay? Has the little divots inside and the cross. This was very popular for Celtic crosses because of the ring, it gave stability to the cross. So the legs wouldn't fall, the arms wouldn't fall off. And so you can actually divot in here because these give you support. We have a Celtic cross right up in front of us all the time. Okay, it's got the ring, it's perfectly shaped. What about our denominational logo on the back of your packet? I gave you this really cool thing that I found online of the denomination's logo. This thing right here. And it's got so many cool symbols in it of what it means to be a, a, a Presbyterian. About the dove and the symbol of the fish. Remember we said that? And a pulpit and the communion and uh, the chalice and the Bible. And what else does it kind of look like, everybody? It's kind of a Celtic cross. Okay? It actually has sort of a Celtic knot sort of feel to it. Now... This is where I think it gets really interesting. We have a really nice rose window in this church. Okay? And um, this was later added to our church. And I gave you in your bulletin a really good description that came, uh, that, that we had historically for this window. Uh, rose windows come more out of the Gothic period. It's later, very geometrical. And then get a little more symbolic with Lutheran windows. Ours is kind of a unique expression of this. So if you look and the, the page lays it out, there's two pointer. There's two crosses. There's a big yellow one. Everybody look, it's budding. Do you see the outsides here? Uh, big budding cross, and there's a little cross that's sort of budding in the middle with vine, and then the very center is grapes. Okay? And then outside of that, there is a brown uh, rose that makes the rose window. Everybody see? It's kind of square. It's got four corners. And like the red, this is not working real well. Uh, the red compass, there's red points that are sort of pointing to the four corners, like here and here. Everybody see that? Okay. And so that's to represent uh, the four corners of the world and the gospel. You can see the, uh, um, the crown of thorns sort of woven in there. And it's meant to be like the, the edges of the, um, the edges of that flower are sort of like grains, like, like budding grains. And then on the outside, you have the eight Beatitudes represented in eight rose, roses around the edge. And if everybody followed those, the idea was that we would bear much fruit. And that's why you have grain branches off of each of the flowers. And then you have the waters of baptism sort of surrounding the whole thing. So we have water baptism. We have grapes in the middle. And we have uh, 
budding grains. So we have bread, wine. We have our sacraments. But here's the important thing, everybody. It's a Celtic cross. It's actually a Celtic cross. And I'll tell you why it's a Celtic cross. Because I drew it right here. Okay? I drew it right here. It's an even-sided cross. And so if you either take the rows or you take the circles of the window, it's actually a Celtic cross. So we've got a Celtic cross down here, and we've got a Celtic cross up there. And, and now that you're looking at it as a Celtic cross, doesn't the crown of thorns, doesn't the, the green in the smaller interior cross remind you of Celtic knotwork? It's actually woven. It's actually woven to show you the same sort of Celtic imagery. Everybody, it's right there. So, a couple of things to bring us home. Number one, all you people who think I'm crazy to talk about our Celtic roots. You've been coming in here for how long staring at Celtic crosses and you didn't even know it. Right? Very Celtic. Very Celtic. Number two, uh, pay attention to our symbols because we lose our symbols. How many times have you looked at that window and you never thought through what the pieces were? In, in the Celtic world, they didn't have Bibles. So they had to know their symbols. Their symbols were their Bibles. We have Bibles. We don't read our Bibles or our symbols. And so when our children our grandchildren want to ask us what this faith means to me, can we explain it to them? Or have we so lost it ourselves that we can't explain it anymore? It doesn't mean the same thing anymore. And so, and, and so, and I, I think this is where our church is. Like, this is such a focus. And I, I pray you never come in this church and see me and don't look behind me and see the cross. Understand the importance of the cross. Pray you never put on a necklace, cross necklace again without thinking about what it actually means. And, uh, and just to finish, on the back page, uh, I'm kind of happy to announce, you may have seen it in some stuff or online a little bit, We've been tinkering with a new logo for our church. And um, Sally actually put this together. And I, I love it. We've had some fun kind of playing with it and tinkering with it. But, but what it is, really, and Sally figured this out, put this together. What it really is, if you look at that logo, is a combination of our cross and our window. Okay? It's the cross and it's the window. It's our cross, but it's also the compass of our window around. And it sort of makes... A little bit of a Celtic knot, doesn't it? And so that, for me, is, is such a powerful image of what our church should be all about. Know your symbols, everybody. Know your symbols. And may our children, our grandchildren, someday ask us, what, what is your, why, why do you wear a cross? What does that window mean? And may we be able to tell them, well, this, this is what Jesus means to me.